Good morning. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Okay. It's much easier to sing that with Mr. Rogers, isn't it? <clears throat> well, welcome to the Calvary neighborhood. Today we continue the series in this month about love, but also what has become the, the Mr. Rogers theme, it seems. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you are just the way you are. You're welcome in this place. My name is Randall Bradley, and I'm not Mr. Rogers, although I did wear my sweater today. And I'm one of the ministers here. Um, I didn't change my shoes. Being neighborly is really important to us at Calvary. So much so that last Sunday, our theme for worship centered around the idea of loving our neighbors. This week, we're going one step far further with that, with the idea of loving the stranger. What exactly does stranger mean to you? What does it mean when you say stranger? There are many definitions of stranger, but it struck me that mostly we mean someone that is not like we are. So, strange means, it means strange, like odd, curious, peculiar, weird, all those kind of things. But it mostly implies that compared to me, it's what I don't feel comfortable with and what I don't know. When I thought about the word stranger a little bit, I thought, well, so what does the word strange mean? And then if you put the ER on it, then it means whatever strange is, earth and that. So stranger, right? So it seems to me that the first step in loving the stranger is realizing that we are all strange to someone, right? So if that's true, why don't we all just look around at our neighbor right now and say, I am strange. So look at your neighbor and say, I am strange. Okay. <clears throat> now I think um, we have... Um, now I think that we have arrived at the place of starting to work on our strangerness because we have acknowledged that we are strange to someone. When we acknowledge that we are strange, then it really does bring down the idea of what is stranger to someone else. Let's close with a few words from Mr. Rogers. Uh, Mr. Rogers said, from the time that you were very little, you had people who smiled you into smiling, people who talked you into talking, and people who sang you into singing and loved you into loving. This morning, it strikes me that that's really a lot of what worship is about. It's about our smiling people into smiling, talking people into talking, singing people into singing, and loving people into loving. 
This morning as we worship together, let us do that more deeply. Let us do it better than we've done it in the past. Welcome to worship. and loving God, we come to worship you today, thankful for your everlasting love. We acknowledge your presence with us here today. We've been taught since childhood to beware of strangers. Fill us with courage to move beyond that, to love those who are different. For all those overwhelmed by loneliness, poverty, and despair, that they may be comforted through our help and kindness, we pray to the Lord. For migrants, refugees, and strangers in our midst, even here in Waco, 
that they may find hope in our concern for justice and feel the warmth of our love. Lord, give us the eyes of Jesus to see our neighbors and the strangers we meet. Teach us what it means to love the stranger as we love ourselves. Give us the desire to reach out to strangers we encounter every day. Forgive us for our selfishness, for our silence, for not caring enough for the strangers who come to our communities. Teach us to love and care for the stranger the way you do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who accepted and loved us when we were strangers. Amen. sanctuary to remind us of that and do y'all remember our memory verse that we've been learning if you do then you can say it with me okay dear friends since God so loved us we should also love one another first John 4 11 well today I have my friend Miss Tiffany here and she is going to share with us what it might look like to love people who are different than us some might call them strangers so, Ms. Tiffany, can you tell us what it looks like to meet and work with new people every day? Sure. So, I work at the VA, and my job is to go out and find people that are homeless and to help them get connected with a special place. Who might give you one of these? A doctor. So, I help people that are homeless get in to see the doctor so they can get the medications that they need. And I, who knows what one of these is? 
a driver's license. A lot of my homeless friends don't have a driver's license. And so without a driver's license, they can't get work and they can't get housing. And so I help them to get all the things they need to get a driver's license. Awesome. Well, you kind of already shared a little bit, but I was going to ask how you show love to these people. Well, the first thing that I do when I meet one of my homeless friends is I introduce myself and I ask them what their name is. You know, sometimes because my friends are homeless, people don't talk to them and they ignore them. And they want to have friends and they want people to hear their story just like each of us do. And so I talk with them and I really try to listen and see what it is that they need help with. And that's the first thing that we start to work on is what they think is most important. Awesome. Well, how might one of us, even if we're kids, do what you do and show people love? Even All right. So some of my friends are hungry. And so what are these things? Corbin. So these are fresh fruits and vegetables. So one of the things that I help my homeless friends do is to get food. And I know that I have seen some of you at the food, at the food pantry where they can pick up food. Sometimes I actually put them in my car and I drive them to a place where they can get a hot, fresh meal with good food. So you can give our homeless friends fresh fruits and vegetables. You can also give them some soap or some shampoo. But you know what? My homeless friends like little sizes because they have everything that they own in a backpack. And a backpack's not very big, right? So they like little sizes that can help them to have the things they need. And there's one more thing that my homeless friends like. What are these? Socks. Sometimes my homeless friends don't get clean socks and shoes. And so when our feet get wet, do they feel cold? And sometimes it feels uncomfortable if your feet are wet. If it's, well, cold, water. If it's cold water. My homeless friends sometimes don't get clean socks. And so those are some things that you can do with your mom or dad to help my homeless friends to have the things that they need. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us this morning, Miss Tiffany. Can we bow our heads and pray? Lord God, thank you for loving us, and thank you that because of your great love for us that we can love other people, Lord, even if we don't know them, even if they may be strangers. Um, and thank you for Miss Tiffany sharing ways that we can love the stranger this morning. And I pray that as we go, we would um, remember to love even as you first loved us. And you know my prayer. Amen.
over the past month. The first week, we talked about just how unimaginable God's love is for us. And along the walls of the sanctuary, you can see people's reflections on what that means for them. And then last week, we took it a step further and talked about God's call for us to extend love to our neighbors. But this week, we are taking that instruction another step forward and looking at what we read in both the Old and the New Testament about the call to love the stranger. And so I've asked Deirdre and Joel to come share with us more about what the Bible says about caring for the stranger in our midst. So thank you all for sharing with us today. And I just want to say, Mary Alice, I'm very excited about this New Testament versus Old Testament cage match. But I'm just a little uncertain as to how we're keeping the score and how we're going to know who wins. I got more. So this is not Faculty Fight Club. I think we can have a cooperative, kind conversation with one another. Okay, cooperative is not in my wheelhouse, but I will give it a shot. Okay, Deirdre, let's start with you. (laughs) Tell us about some of the instances we come across in the Old Testament about loving the stranger. Which stories and people stand out to you? Well, there are dozens of times the words appear. The first term for stranger is ger, and when you see that word, it's overwhelmingly positive. An example of that is Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 20, which uh, Moses reminds the Israelites that the Lord their God executes justice to the fatherless and the widow and loves the ger, loves the stranger whom he gave food and clothing to. Uh, then he says, love the gear, love the stranger, because you yourselves were strangers from when you were in Egypt. Um, so we have that example. Then the second example of the term is the word nechar, which is a generally more negative term at times. But you have this really positive moment in Isaiah 56, 6 through 8, 
where uh, the Nehar are the ones who are joined, who join themselves to Israel, who join themselves to the Lord, are welcomed at his holy mountain, at his house of prayer, and at his altar. So we have a major shift here in the way of looking at that type of a foreigner. And the Lord God, he gathers the outcasts and he gathers the foreigners together. So it's a really beautiful image. Another thing I think we see in the Old Testament is examples of people who would have been considered strangers being welcomed into the community. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, lots of examples of that, but two that stand out. One you spoke about, Rahab, uh, earlier, a few, few months ago, and Rahab was clearly welcomed to Israel even though she was a foreigner. She was a Jerichoite. Uh, somebody who should have been part of the destruction, but indeed her whole family was welcome. And then the other really neat example that comes to mind immediately is Ruth. And Ruth was the worst of the foreigners. She's a Moabite. And if you want to know how much they hated Moabites in the Bible, read Genesis 19. Um, but in that, but with Ruth, she's, she is uh, wanting to be part of Israel. And she says to Naomi, when Naomi reminds her, you can go back to your family. I don't have any more sons. Go back. And she says, no, you know, don't press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and be buried, and there will I be happy. Lord, don't press me to turn away from you. So we have full inclusion of Ruth within the story. And then to the point where both the women I mentioned are part of the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. So these very foreign women become the ancestors of Jesus. Awesome. Well, that's a great segue to talk with Joel some about the New Testament. And one of the things you and I talked about is in his very first sermon in Luke 4, Jesus makes reference to loving the stranger. Um, tell us more about what the significance is of what Jesus is doing here. Yeah, for Luke in that gospel, uh, he has Jesus' first thing, that he do, uh, first thing that he does in the gospel in terms of his public ministry is to go to his hometown and preach. He takes down and reads the scroll of Isaiah and says, I have come to bring good news to the poor. I have come to proclaim release to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, and relief for the oppressed and the acceptable year, the year of favor of the Lord. And that is well received, likely because his audience thinks this message is for them. And then the very next thing he does is he says, remember in the time of Elijah, there were many widows in Israel but Elijah went to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon, a foreigner. And then he tells the story of Elisha. In the time of Elisha, there were many lepers in Israel, but Elisha went to Naaman, the Syrian general. And then they decide they want to kill Jesus. Apparently, they were not as receptive to outsiders as we are in our culture. But, uh, and so as the gospel continues, what we're going to see is this breaking down barriers and crossing racial and geographic boundaries all the way through. For example, Luke is the only gospel that has the story of the Good Samaritan where neighbor is redefined as an outsider. Uh, and then we get to uh, the second part of Luke, uh, the, the Acts, and with these themes continue, and we move, the gospel moves from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the other, uttermost parts of the earth as we continue to incorporate people like the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius the Roman centurion and the Philippian jailer. 
So another thing that's happening in the New Testament is this language of hospitality. And we can't really talk about loving the stranger with also talking about that. Can you unpack hospitality a bit for us? Well, sure. The word xenos is the word for stranger or foreigner. We know it from our word xenophobia, fear of the foreigner, of the stranger. But it's also, in Greek, a word that means friend uh, because Xenia is the word for hospitality. You would open your house to the stranger. And it was a custom in the Greco-Roman world to entertain traveling strangers because there was the belief that they could possibly be gods who might bless or curse you. And so you would bring them into your house, but it's not hospitality like we would define it, just having someone over for a meal, but you would offer them not only food, but your protection perhaps even a bath, a change of clothes, and then it extended further, you would often give them provisions for their further journey, perhaps even them offering security for the next leg of their journey. So it was a very radical hospitality. So I know you have both just hit the top of the iceberg of all that is in the Bible about loving a stranger, and yet, the implications of that in our world today can be quite complex. Um, I will admit, and I'll talk about later, that this was a difficult sermon for me to write. And so my last question for you is, what are the implications of some of these texts that you see for us as the church today? Yeah, there's no question you're supposed to welcome the stranger. You're supposed to house and feed them and take care of them as God has done himself to the stranger. So I think that's really important. You see that throughout the Old Testament. And if you look in Acts at the stories of the conversion of Cornelius in Acts 10 and the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, you'll see that both stories conclude with, and they welcomed them into their household and they stayed for several days. We see this with each conversion story in Acts because it shows that hospitality is what you do when you decide to show Jesus. And Xenia hospitality is bringing in the xenos, the stranger. Awesome. Well, thank and you what, all so and, much. And we wanted to say, what were the implications of the church living that out in a world of immigrants and refugees? How would the world be a different place? Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for sharing with us this morning.
reading, a reading from Deuteronomy. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God, your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the peoples. As it is today, circumcise your heart and do not be stubborn any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord of your God. Him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was, a I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. 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 <clears throat> the time is now. Now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth 
May the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, my confession as I begin today is that I rewrote this sermon about five times. One of the values that is most important to me in my preaching is to be the same person standing behind the pulpit as I am with you face to face. It's incredibly important to me to be as authentic and as real as I can be with you in this space because the last thing that the world needs now is fakeness from the pulpit. We have seen far too much of that in the news lately, haven't we? And so each week as I write my sermon, I'm always asking myself if the words on the page are words that I can genuinely proclaim. And if I can't, I delete them and challenge myself to listen and to think more deeply about what I feel God is leading me to say. Which is why at 5.09 p.m. last night, I was staring at a blank computer screen and had decided to start from scratch again. Now, if you thought this month's worship series on love was cute and endearing for us to think about as we spend the month of February together, the weeks around Valentine's Day, that sentiment probably ends for us today. Because it's one thing to talk about the overwhelming love that God has for us, like we did the first week. Or to talk about our call to extend that love to our neighbors like we did last week. But the reality is that loving the stranger, loving the person we don't know at all, can be hard. It can be messy. It can be complicated. And while today's Bible texts present us with the instruction to love and to care for the stranger, They provide us with no easy answers for what that actually looks like in the year of 2019. Which means that next week's sermon on loving the enemy is going to be a real doozy. (laughs) But I will save that challenge for next week. So originally, as I was writing my sermon, I was going to begin with this wonderful story by Leo Tolstoy that was written in the 1880s. And I'm still going to share part of it with you today, but perhaps not with my original intentions. So the story is about a man named Martin who is a shoemaker in a village in Russia. And one night, in the middle of his sleep, Martin hears Jesus' voice calling out to him. And he says, Martin, look out on the streets tomorrow, for I am coming to see you. Well, the next morning, Martin wakes up and is pretty sure that what happened in the night was just a dream. But he also keeps a watchful eye out the window just in case Jesus decides to come visit. He looks up and down the street, but all he sees is an old man shoveling snow. And so he thinks to himself and he invites the man in for a cup of tea and allows him to warm himself up by the fire. Later in the day, as Martin is working on shoes, he hears the sound of a baby's cry. And sure enough, he looks out his window, and there is a young mother with a baby shivering outside in the cold. And so Martin rushes outside and insists that this woman and her baby come inside to get warm. 
After a while, the baby falls asleep while he and her mother talk by the fire. He gets them a coat and a blanket for the baby. Well, near the end of the day, as he is finishing up his work, he then sees a little boy outside of his window, and an older woman is yelling at the boy for stealing an apple from her. And so the boy begins to run away with this apple. But once again, Martin goes outside, pays the woman for the apple, and invites the little boy to come inside to have something more to eat. Well, the day ends, and Martin is disappointed that Jesus never came to visit him. But when he falls asleep that night, he once again hears Jesus' voice calling to him, and he says, Martin, Martin, I came to see you today. How much I enjoyed being your guest. Martin is puzzled. He says, but Lord, I watch for you in the street all day. When did you come? And suddenly his dream is filled with all the people he had encountered that day. The woman with the apples and the young boy, the mother and her child, the man shoveling snow. And it's in that moment Martin understands that Jesus had come to visit him that day after all. It's a beautiful story about a man's selfless love for others, and it's a great depiction of today's text in Matthew's Gospel. And you all know how much I love using children's literature in my sermons, but I was staring at that story, and for some reason I just didn't feel settled about using it as the overarching example in my sermon of what it looks like for us to love the stranger. Because to do so meant that I genuinely had to ask myself, would I do what Martin the Shoemaker actually did? For instance, if I were alone here at the church, would I invite a stranger to come inside with me? Would I do that in my own home as a single woman and invite someone to come in and sit by the fire? Well, it may be idyllic to think that I would always follow Martin's examples and his care for the stranger. It would be pretty naive of me to do that as well. It's the same reason I struggle with how to teach the parable of the Good Samaritan, because if I were traveling through an unsafe area, and if I were by myself, would I really stop to help a stranger on the side of the road? Would I teach our youth and our children to do the same? The reality is that there are sometimes important safety measures and boundaries around what it looks like to love and to welcome and to care for the stranger in our midst. There are questions that women and men have to ask in our interactions with people we don't know. There are considerations that families with children need to make as well. And that doesn't mean we don't love or care for or welcome, not by a long shot. But it does mean that we have to be thoughtful about the ways in which we do seek to love and care for and welcome. And those ways may look differently for all of us based on our situation and circumstance. Now the problem is our culture seems to have reacted so strongly to the need to be thoughtful in our love for the stranger that we have instead started to live out of complete fear of the stranger. I read this week 
from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that they've actually started encouraging parents not to use the word stranger danger with their children because it's made our children afraid to interact with anyone they don't know. The center actually conducted a study with a group of children recently to learn about their perceptions of strangers, and they aired it on ABC News. When they asked the children to tell them what a stranger is, one child says, if a stranger asks you for help, you should say that you can't help them and just keep walking. Another child said, you never, ever trust a stranger. And so they asked these children what they would do if they were in a store shopping with their parents and got lost. They hired four actors to play different roles in the store, including a security guard, a mother with children, a store clerk, and an average Joe, as they called him. And they asked the children, if you were lost and you saw some of these people in the store with you, would you reach out to any of them and ask for help? One nine-year-old boy said, they're all strangers, and you never talk to strangers unless you know them. So he said he wouldn't ask any of them for help. Another boy told ABC News that he would not ask any of them for help either. Instead, he would leave the store and go looking for his parents outside instead. Has stranger danger inadvertently taught our children to be afraid of people they don't know? And have we inadvertently begun to live in fear of people we don't know ourselves? How much is this concept of stranger danger infiltrating our country right now as we talk about how we will respond to immigrants and refugees, people who are technically strangers seeking entry or safety at our borders? Now, I say all of this in an effort to genuinely recognize the many different tensions that are at play when we talk about welcoming the stranger. In our day-to-day -day interactions and on a national and global scale, there are not easy answers for what it looks like to love the stranger in 2019. And yet, and yet we read all throughout the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, as Deirdre and Joel have shared with us. Not suggestions, not words of encouragement, but an imperative command to love the stranger in our midst. According to Jonathan Sachs, chief rabbi of Great Britain, the Hebrew Bible contains only one commandment to love the neighbor, but no less than 36 commands to love the stranger. Throughout Torah, the reason given for this teaching is that the Israelites were once strangers themselves, as Deirdre mentioned. And we certainly see that reasoning in today's text in Deuteronomy 10. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. How many of us know what it feels like to be the stranger? To be the new person? to feel different, to feel out of place, to not feel welcomed. And so I love what the writer is doing here. He is, he's humanizing the stranger for us. He's inviting the people of Israel to identify with the foreigners in their midst because they too were once strangers in a foreign land. 
And so I can't help but wonder if the author of Deuteronomy is giving us a tool to help us move away from living in stranger danger, and that is by humanizing the stranger, by putting ourselves in their shoes. He's doing what the great Atticus Finch does in To Kill a Mockingbird when Scout and Jim are complaining about Boo Radley, who is a complete stranger to them. They've never actually met him, but Boo is this mysterious, scary figure to them nonetheless. But in one of the best lines in the book, and perhaps one of the best lines in all of modern literature, Atticus says to them, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb up into his skin and walk around in it. And so like Atticus, this passage in Deuteronomy helps us to climb up into the skin of the stranger and ultimately to see ourselves as the stranger. But then in the New Testament, Jesus challenges us to take it a step further, and not only to see ourselves, but ultimately to see God in the stranger. The master in Jesus' parable says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. But the people are so confused. They say, Master, when did we see you in any of these ways? And he responds and says, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, who are members of my family, you did it to me. Now there's actually some debate among scholars about who Jesus is referring to as the least of these. But what I think is important for us to remember is that whoever they are, they are not who the disciples expected them to be. After all, the people in the story stand in disbelief and say to the master, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you in? When was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited with you? In other words, they have lost the ability to see God in the hungry in the poor, or in the stranger. But Jesus makes a strong statement in this story that whenever you welcome the stranger, you were welcoming me. And whenever you turned away from a stranger, you were turning away from me. So what do we do? What do we do with Jesus' admonition and the countless other teachings throughout the Bible and what do they have to teach us in 2019 about how we are to turn toward the stranger? While the application may be complex, the instruction is not. And I believe that our response begins by coming toward the stranger from a place of empathy and love and not fear or anxiety. After all, there is no fear in love, 1 John 4.18 tells us, for perfect love casts out fear, as we see written on so many of these hearts around our room today. You see, fear causes us to question people. Fear causes us to be suspicious, to hide, to turn inward, to move away from. But love calls us to lean in more closely to learn more, 
to open ourselves up, to turn ourselves outward, to walk toward. Love calls us to walk a mile or two, or even a thousand miles or two in another person's shoes, if that has been their journey. To ask ourselves what we might do if we were in their position, and how we would want people to respond to us. Love does not delight in evil, as we read last week. But love rejoices in truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always perseveres, always hopes. And so perhaps a faithful response for us to all of this is to be smart and thoughtful in the ways that we interact with strangers while always hoping and believing the best in strangers. Because love always hopes. I don't know if you heard the story this Christmas about a little girl living near the border in Mexico who put her Christmas list on a balloon and she released it into the air one day in hopes that her list might come true. Well, just days later, a man named Randy Heiss was walking his dog in Patagonia, Arizona when he saw a deflated balloon in the grass. It was attached to a ribbon with a note written in Spanish, and he quickly realized that it was a little girl's Christmas list. He immediately wanted to help this little girl and began to hope that he might be able to find her. His best guess was that the balloon came from the Mexican town of Nogales, which lies just across the border, only 20 miles away from him. But it also had a population of a quarter of a million people. So he enlisted the help of a Nogales radio station, which posted a message looking for the little girl on its Facebook page. They found her in an hour. So Randy and his wife bought Christmas gifts for the little girl named Dayami and her younger sister, Hamana, and the radio station arranged a meeting for their families. It was a special day for the girls to receive these wonderful Christmas presents, but it was just as special, if not more, for Randy and his wife. You see, they had lost their own son nine years previously, and were also missing out on the experience of having grandchildren, which was especially hard at Christmas. But meeting these young girls, they said, was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And they added, quite healing. Randy added, we now have friends for life. And to think that they were once strangers, living on opposite sides of the border. And so, as we thoughtfully seek to love the strangers in our midst, may we be people who hope and who believe the best in strangers. For we never know what gifts God has to bring to us along the way. Because God's love always hopes. And so, God, I ask that in these moments, you would open our minds and open our hearts to the strangers in our midst. 
Give us eyes to see the people we pass throughout the week, in our schools, in our places of work, walking down the street, in the grocery store, at the ballpark. God, help us to not only see ourselves in the stranger, but more than that, help us to see you, your image in every person, a beloved child of God. Give us discernment, give us wisdom, but also give us courage. Give us bravery and help us to walk forward in the ways of Jesus who welcomed and loved all of the strangers in his midst. We ask these things in your name. Amen. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says, God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Any talk that we have about loving our strangers, loving our neighbors, loving one another has to begin with this, with the love God has for us. Maybe you've never responded to that love of God that was ultimately expressed through Jesus. Ultimately, that love beckons us to know him and to follow in the ways of Jesus. Maybe you are feeling led to become part of our beloved community here at Calvary where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together in this place. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. Maybe you want to continue to reflect on God's love for us and hang a heart around the sanctuary today. There are extra hearts in the back of the room and pins that are scattered on the pews. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. church of Christ cannot be bound by walls of wood or stone. The charity and love are found, there cannot church be Freely 
extend the Spirit's care through every selfless deed. The Church of Christ cannot be bound by walls of wood or stone, where charity and love are found. Help us to remember all that we receive, all that we give, and all that we are is yours. We want to make all we do an act of offering, especially the way we love. We pray that you keep helping us to this end, that we may offer our love to you, that we may offer our love to one another, and that we may offer our love to the stranger. Amen.
Calvary family, I have a couple people I would love for you to meet this morning if you haven't yet. First, this is Caitlin Guziak. Caitlin is originally from Houston, um, but moved to Waco a few years ago to do her undergrad here in church music and choral studies, and then stayed uh, to start studying for her Master of Divinity at Truett. Um, when I asked her what are some of the things that she loves, what makes her heart sing, she said, I really love one-on-one time with people. I love horseback riding, and I just love learning. Um, she said she's also interested in social work, and I told her we have quite a few people here who could talk with her about that as well. Um, and she said she has just felt so welcome in this place and has been part of the intergenerational Sunday school class and has just been welcomed right in. So Caitlin is here to become part of the Calvary family, and we couldn't be more excited to celebrate that with you today. And so your Calvary family has some words we would like to share with you in response to your So, Caitlin, I'm going to invite you to have a seat for just a moment, and then if you would follow me out. I know many of you would love to greet Caitlin on your way out today. And so next, I'd like to invite Tanisia and Linda to join me up front. If you have not had a chance to meet her yet, this is Tanisia Widemere, and she is our new office manager here at Calvary. And Tanisia, it has been such a joy to work with you over the past week. I want you to know that Tanisia is kind and thoughtful and has already jumped right into lots of the day-to-day work that happens in this place. I'm really excited for all of you to get to know Tanisia, and I hope you will welcome her to the Calvary family as well. And so Linda, who is the chair of our search committee and did a fabulous job in helping us with that process, Linda and Tanisia will also be out with us um, after the benediction and would love for you to greet us there as well. Um, Finally, I hope you'll stay and join us for lunch, and I hope our newcomers will join us for lunch, too. We're having tacos stack up downstairs in the fellowship hall. If you're new to Calvary, we especially hope that you will stay. This is a great chance for us to get to know you better and um, spend some time in fellowship together. Well, please stand and join me for this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. There's the only thing that there's just a little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some.